Dr. Varmus, I know you were appointed to be the 14th director of the National Cancer Institute. Can you give your thoughts on the moment that we're in, in terms of cancer research? Is there anything you find particularly exciting or promising? Well, look, no one can disregard the, the excitement that surrounds uh, immunotherapy for cancer because immunotherapy is a concept that's been around for a long time and only came to fruition about a decade mm-hmm. ago when, when it became apparent from work largely by Jim Allison, who was uh, originally at Berkeley, then at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering, that you could harness the immune system to do unexpected things against against cancers. And now we have a, a variety of ways to begin to, um, to utilize the immune system. Um, but I think it's a mistake to focus entirely on, on that aspect of what's happening in, in the world of cancer. I think mm-hmm. perhaps greater uh, fundamental importance is the, the much deeper understanding we have of why a normal cell becomes a cancer cell. We know thanks to genomics and the uh, long, long history of working with cancer viruses and cancer genes, we know a lot about the mutational changes that are responsible for virtually everything that we know about cancer cells, why they behave the way they do, uh, what kinds of targets might be created for more conventional drugs, uh, why the immune system responds to them, and the things we don't know we think we could know because we have the tools uh, thanks to the development of recombinant DNA technology and DNA sequencing at incredible speeds and high-powered computers and new ways to think about protein structure. Uh, all these basic sciences have conspired to, to, to allow us to think about new ways to uh, understand cancer and to prevent and treat it. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I know that you served as director of the NIH from 1993 to 1999, a really important position because it's very clearly, I think, where politics and science intersect. And to the best of my knowledge, one of the politically contentious areas of science at that time and also really today is stem cell research. Can you talk about what you did as director to try to usher in an era of more acceptance towards stem cell research? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, it's, it's hard to do that in just a couple of minutes, but I think it's, first of all, important to define what we mean by stem cell research. Stem mm-hmm. cells have been around for a long time, and uh, stem cells um, are defined in a specialized way and apply to a lots of cell types that uh, are not contentious. What is contentious is working with the stem cells that have the potential to generate an entire organism and are human. So mm-hmm. animal stem cells, bone marrow stem cells, liver stem cells, those things are not controversial. But in the 1990s, it became possible to, uh, first of all, begin to think about experiments you might do to understand early human development and mm-hmm. to understand how each organ arises from a single from a single fertilized cell. Uh, and um, the, the propagation of cells from uh, a human embryo became possible through the work of Jamie Thompson in that era, uh, and there was a lot of controversy about working with these cells in part because of work that had been done to suggest that, that, uh, that the cells having complete potential could be used to generate organisms, something which mm-hmm. no scientist of any repute would want to do, and because um, the act of making a stem cell requires starting with human uh, embryos uh, which um, uh, indicates that uh, that um, s- 
someone had, in, in virtually all cases, donated uh, an, an embryo that, that uh, could have been implanted into a human womb uh, mm -hmm. for, for research. So that was the nature of the controversy. There's a long history here, which uh, has been recounted in several places, including a memoir I wrote myself. Um, I don't have time to get into all that, but, but I think what people have been convinced of is that uh, the work on human embryo um, stem cells uh, has been brought into a regulatory framework that is equitable and fair and uh, mm -hmm. uh, ethically acceptable, uh, and that uh, that we are learning significant things from this kind of work, which is being done with cells that would otherwise have been discarded and uh, never turned into a human being. Mm -hmm. um, there's still, you know, there's still reason to think this through as an individual scientist. Nothing is, is so clear-cut as to say uh, that uh, there are no real issues raised. There are real issues, and they need to be uh, thought about in a sensible fashion that, uh, that in my view, uh, meets ethical norms of the culture in which the research is being done and is justifiable based on, on uh, the kinds of outcomes one would like. Now, I think it's possible for some to say that looking back over the last 20 years in which this work has been feasible, that mm -hmm. some of the promises that were being made at the outset were extravagant. I think that is a fair comment. Um, I do not um, attribute any of those to myself. Uh, what I've tried to do all along is to say there's enormous potential here and there are ethical issues that need to be discussed, but we shouldn't be uh, discarding the potential for doing a lot of good um, mm -hmm. just because somebody foresees a, a scenario in which in which they think uh, harm would be done. Right, right. And we know during the Bush presidency, embryonic stem cell research came under political attack. In the current political well, climate... Let me remind you, though, that, 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 mm -hmm. that, that, that NI supported stem cell work. And let's, let's be clear here that, that um, in the U.S., in general, we do not outlaw kinds of research. What we do is we say federal funds cannot be used to support this kind of research. Mm -hmm. And I think it is fair to say that although the argument was made for stem cell research during the Clinton administration, uh, it was only under George Bush that stem cell research was first funded. Now, it was funded in, by the government in a very restricted way because mm -hmm. when um, Bush gave one of the first major speeches of his administration, I believe the date was August 9th, 2001. Uh, mm -hmm. He said that we would only fund research on stem cells that were already made, and any further stem cells that were made would not be uh, allowable for funding. Well, that that that, is, that process has evolved thanks to uh, uh, to executive orders by President Obama, but mm -hmm. the, the, it's still not possible to fund with NIH money. Uh, the generation of new stem cell lines, because that requires uh, the, the, the destruction of a human embryo, uh, something which is not allowable under a, uh, uh, an attachment to appropriation bills that have been uh, that has been made every year since uh, the late 90s. So, so there's still some some uh, strange things about the way we support this effort. That fair, uh, mm -hmm. useful comparison of how other countries like Great Britain and some European countries manage their their stem cell work. Yeah, yeah. And, and finally, Dr. Varmus, I wanted to ask you about the book that you authored, which I think you also mentioned, 
the art and politics of science. And it, sure. it's about your experiences both at the forefront of research and in some of the also, highest. It's also freely available online. So um, this is not an advertisement to make, to, <laughs> Perfect. to make any money. I encourage people to go online and see that the, you know, one of the things I believe in is that academics like me who don't write for a living um, but write books should be putting them in the public domain after a, a, a reasonable period of time. Uh, and that's true of this memoir as well. And as you say, it's this and many other controversies that I faced during my years as NIH director. Uh, it's not been updated to talk about my years as NCI director, but the mm -hmm. uh, um, fights over publication practices and embryo research and, and uh, many other things are described at length in, in, in that book. And uh, that you were asking a question about, I just wanted to right, say sure. yeah, yeah. that if this was not an advertisement <laughs> for people to buy something, they can get it for free. That's it the power of NIH to make, to make all this stuff freely available. Fantastic. And I wanted to know, kind of in light of those experiences, how do you now view science and politics? Do you view them as more antagonistic forces or more as potentially no, promoting? Not at all. I mean, science, science is a public activity. It's largely sponsored, especially in, in the academic basic science sector, by the U.S. government, as outlined by uh, by uh, a, um, a book by Vannevar Bush in 1945 called Science, the Endless Frontier. And um, we need to be cognizant of the fact that, uh, that what we do as scientists uh, is done on behalf of the citizens of this country who still, despite everything else, remain somewhat loyal to the progressive and uh, rational uh, precepts of our founding fathers. Uh, and... Um, uh, I feel very strongly that science is a public good, and mm -hmm. uh, those of us do it, especially when we do it um, at the, at the, um, with the support of government resources that come from taxpayers, um, ought to be involved in the political processes. Uh, if we look around at the government today, we see that most science positions have not been filled, that the current administration is not paying attention to its responsibility to sustain one of the things that made modern life in America possible, that is, investment mm -hmm. in basic and conversion of our new knowledge into uh, um, products and, and uh, procedures that benefit everybody. So engagement is the key word here, and all scientists should be alert to and even participating in uh, the, the political process that gives them the, the right to do good works for all mankind. Um, thanks to the way in which we position science in our mm -hmm. political system. 